welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Praise Him. Well, I'm very excited. We're starting a series today that's going to go for the next seven weeks or so, and we've called it Christianity 101. And uh, we're looking at some of the basic foundational uh, truths, beliefs, and practices of the Christian faith. And today I want to talk about salvation. Don't sound so excited. If uh, If you're a believer in Jesus, then you've received salvation Give the person next to you a little tickle or a slap or, a, uh, or maybe not a slap, that gets you in trouble, but come on. Uh, salvation is pretty exciting. You know, salvation is God's incredible gift to us. It's, it's the single greatest life-changing event that can occur to anyone, and it's available for everyone. It's the reason that Jesus came to earth. And when you read the Bible... It's the singular message that keeps coming through. Because even though the Bible has been written as a whole collection of different books, written by over 40 different people from all walks of life, from all different countries, from a period that lasted over 1,600 years, there's still one main theme, this central concept and message, and that is salvation of mankind from sin, through faith in Jesus Christ. And you see that. The Old Testament points towards Jesus. The New Testament Gospels tell about Jesus. The New Testament letters then reflect on what Jesus has done and the salvation that he's made available and how that can change our lives forever. And, um, you know, long before Jesus came, the Old Testament writers were prophesying about him and, uh, and the salvation that he would bring. And there's many, many passages about that. I just want to look at a few of them. Uh, if you go way back, you know, Job probably lived before Moses. They don't know exactly, but a long time ago, thousands of years ago. And yet even from way back then, he was looking forward to this future saviour. And uh, in the midst of his terrible trials, I mean, what a story. What a wild roller coaster, crazy life he led. But in the midst of it, he declares this powerful, amazing statement, and it's recorded in Job 19.25. It might come up on the screen. And he said, I know my Redeemer lives, and he will stand upon the earth at last. Incredible. So long uh, before Jesus came, and yet looking for him. And then, of course, the prophets. You've got Isaiah, many others, but Isaiah, we'll look at a couple of them. He's constantly looking for the coming Messiah, the anointed one who would, who would come from heaven to save mankind. And Isaiah says, 11 verse 10, um, in that day, a day in the future, the heir to David's throne, Jesus came born through the lineage of King David. The heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation. To all the world, the nations will rally to him and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. Isn't that awesome? Where Jesus is, he says, where there's just two or three of you gathered in my name, I'm there. 
This is a glorious place. It's got nothing to do with buildings. I've been in some beautiful sandstone churches that are more like museums. You know, the glory of God can be a group of young zealot Christians praying on the beach, you know, or a few women having a cup of coffee and praying for each other, or a couple of blokes just praying and the glory of God comes where Jesus is and, uh, and salvation is there with him. Isaiah 12 verse 3, uh, again he prophesies and says, with joy you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. And this word salvation keeps popping up all throughout the Old Testament. In the Psalms, it's mentioned dozens of times. David and other psalmists are writing again about the Messiah who would come, bring salvation. Just one verse might come up there, Psalm 119, verse 41. Lord, give me your unfailing love, the salvation that you promised me. Isn't that awesome? And as I said, all throughout the Old Testament, Jesus, salvation, it's the focus, it's the future that they're looking for, right up to the very last verse of the Old Testament. Malachi, the prophet, talks about one who would come from heaven to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the hearts of the sons. And then nothing for 400 years, the silent years, the intertestament period, as theologians talk about And so there's nothing between Malachi and Matthew because there's no prophetic voice. The words had been given, the promises had been made and yet people were just waiting. There was no more to be said except to wait for the Messiah. There was nothing written in that period of time that is part of our Bible today. But they're waiting and they're waiting. And then we get the New Testament. And there's this awesome passage in Luke chapter 2 where you've got an old man called Simeon and, it, and it, it says that the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he wouldn't die until he had seen with his own eyes the Messiah. Imagine that. Imagine that. Everyone in the neighbourhood would be like, hey, you seen Simeon at the footy on Saturday? Is he still around? And said, okay, well, you know, Jesus is coming. Well, they didn't know his name would be Jesus, but the Messiah, the Messiah's got to be coming. They're all checking. How are you feeling? Still, you know, I think it's just hilarious. Simeon would be, I, I think, quite a, a, a character in the local community. But he's got this promise. And then one day he goes to the temple and there's a young couple, Mary and Joseph, and they have a little baby. And Simeon sees them, sees the baby, and he cries out these words, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. How, who knows how old he was? You know, he's like, oh, I've had enough. You know, I've worked all my life. I'm, you know, he might be like, Please, can you come so I can go? And he says, I have seen your salvation. Isn't that amazing? Which you have prepared for all people, the next verse says. And then he dropped dead in front of them. No, 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 I just added that. Sorry, just a bit of embellishment. But it would have been a good story. It didn't say that, but I just wonder, you know, if he wanted to go out in a dramatic way. Maybe he pretended. See? Ah! And then maybe he lived for another 20 years. Who knows? But there he was. And notice he says, I've seen your salvation. Jesus comes. And of course, the name Jesus means save, salvation or God saves. And, uh, And so Jesus comes and then we read the Gospels and we find out that Jesus dies on the cross. And in doing so, he pays for our forgiveness and our salvation. But we can say this word a lot and just forget what it means. What is it? 
when we say I'm saved, what are we saved from? What are we saved to? Why did Jesus come? Why did he have to do what he did? What does it all mean? What's my response to all this? So I just want to think about that this morning and just reflect on this amazing story of salvation. Uh, and of course, we call it the gospel, the good news of Jesus is this great story. We, in fact, we did a whole series of, of messages a couple of years ago on the story. And, uh, and, 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 and there's basically four, you know, in the old days, they'd talk about the four spiritual laws. That was uh, gospel tracts would have, uh, uh, you know, four steps to salvation or four parts of the gospel story. And, and that's a great way of summarising it because there's pretty much four phrases we can summarise the gospel with. Number one, God's creation. Number two, uh, Satan's deception. Number three, Christ's substitution. And number four, mankind's salvation or restoration. Let's just think about those four. Let's look at... Uh, because, because, as I said, that summarises the gospel. It's good for us to remember, to appreciate. You know, it, it, sometimes it's easy to take things for granted. And it's... Um, it's good. You know, camping is great. I think the best thing about camping is when you come home and turn on a little plastic button and go, oh, there's lights. And you go to this big white box and, oh, there's all this cold food and another little white box. It's all frozen. And then you press a button and, oh, entertainment happens on this big screen. And then you lie down and, and there's no sticks in your back and rocks and ants and, 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 it's, and it's this thing called a bed. Oh, you know, so... You know, when you're away from some things, you appreciate them more. And sometimes it's hard when you're living with something all the time and you're living, if you've given your life to Christ, with salvation all the time. It's like, come on, I need to appreciate that. And that's why we press in and read and sing the words and look at the words of the songs you sing because they're, they're well-crafted and the, the, the tune moves our heart. But we want to get onto the words as well because they're reminding us, yeah, flip, I... I'm born again, I'm saved, God loves me, I'm a child of God. And I always forget the words of the songs we've been singing. I'm a child of God, come on. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Come on, I'm a, oh, give me a guitar. I'm gonna... So I got that bit right, didn't I? Yeah? What do you mean? What do you mean? Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Okay, I thought that's what we sang this morning. Anyway, along those lines. So... It's good for us to remember and appreciate salvation. Yeah. Even if you gave your life to Jesus a long time ago, just consider. And the world needs to hear the gospel. So it's good for us to know what God's story is and how it relates to people. So first part, creation. Think about that for a moment. Mankind, one word well known to describe all people of both genders without aiming to omit any offence, okay? Uh, you understand what I'm saying there? Um, so people, you know, were created by God and we were designed to live in relationship with him and in harmony with others. Isn't that awesome? And we read about that in the book of Genesis. I think that just shows us right there how good God is, that he would create people to live with, to be with and to love and share things with. And, uh, and of course, Adam and Eve... Uh, there in the Garden of Eden, we read about that. And can, hey, can I just say, in case you didn't know, this property was called Eden Gardens. For many years, this operated as a hostel called Eden Gardens, and then it was closed and left derelict when we found it. It had been 
something like 10 or 15 years just sitting, and some of us remember <laughs> what it was like when we found it, how many skips and working bees and dead bodies, I mean, like junk that we found, we just, it was just amazing what was here. Uh, and yet the sign was still there, Eden Gardens. In fact, if you Google 101 Man's Road, I think it still comes up as Eden Gardens and, uh, and C3 Church as well at the same time. But I just think that's interesting because our church is rebuilding on this place uh, spiritually what was kind of prophetically spoken through that sign and that name, that title of a place for people to be restored to what God really intended, a relationship with him. And, uh, and so I think that that's cool that we've got this property that was, you know, called Eden Gardens. And, and, and that's exactly what was going on in the garden, the original garden, this wonderful fellowship that God had with the people that he made. And notice it says, when you read that uh, account in Genesis chapter 1, it says we, people were made in God's image. And that says something about the dignity uh, of mankind, of people that God intends to restore, rebuild and, and, uh, and what he originally intended uh, because only people were made in God's image. I mean, he made lots of creatures. Puppies are cute. We got one. Very cute. Uh, dolphins are amazing. Some people like birds, <laughs> you know. Um, go figure. You said it, He's, you know. Some people like bird shooting, um, you know. In America, not in Australia. Oh, no. You'd probably get imprisoned if you go, you know, duck shooting in Australia. But, you know, all these lovely creatures, but only one God created in his image. That's people. That's you and me. That's, you know, that's, that's how it was. That's, that was God's intention. Uh, that's God's plan. But, of course, the second part of this gospel story is, that that was ruined by Satan's deception and mankind's sin. And again, you read about that in the book of Genesis because you've got, you know, the devil coming and tempting Adam and Eve to sin and immediately their close relationship with God's broken and their sin meant that they could no longer stand in God's presence. His holiness, his perfection meant that anyone with sin couldn't come close. So there's this immediate barrier and, uh, and that sin has affected the world ever since. And, you know, it amazes me how people blame God for stuff. But it's the devil and it's our sin that causes every single problem in the world. God is to blame for nothing bad in our world. And that sin escapes no one. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, it has, it has run in the veins of every person born. And that's... You know, that we've got to get our head around that because there's some really nice people doing really good things. And then there's innocent babies. We've got plenty of them here. You know, young parents, <laughs> you have a baby and they're just so cute. And they're so perfect. They're so innocent. They're just, you know, I, I, I think it's always funny. They say, oh, look, look, he's got his mother's eyes. And then I remember someone saying, he's got his father's chin. And I'm thinking hang on a minute, he's got like eight chins. I'm not that fat, you know. <laughs> this kid's just fat, you know. Um, my two boys, boy, they were fat. I mean, they were both. I mean, they're not now, praise the Lord. They, you know, they got, but they, I didn't, I didn't say anything about the girls. So the girls were just, they, just normal or whatever. But, but Luke was, 
Luke's on his honeymoon right now, so he can't hear this, you know, but he was so fat. Um, apparently, I was really fat. When I was born, my mother was in England, and the nurses would come and see the great big, nearly 10-pound Australian baby. They said, oh, come and see the Australian baby. They all thought Australians were fat and big, you know. Um, but, you know, these babies are really cute, and they coo and car and they giggle, and they gurgle, and all that, and then, and, and they're just perfect. And then they start showing personality. Right? And go, oh, look, isn't that cute? Oh, wow. And then that personality shows itself by taking another kid's toy and hitting it over the head or biting them or standing and stamping and saying, no. And then you go, oh, personality. No, 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 there's another word for that. It's sin. And, and you brand new parents are looking at your perfect little creature saying, close your ears, don't listen to him. You know, it's never going to happen. No, it's just a matter of time, you know, and it's, and it's true. And, then, and so then parents, what do you do? You don't just go, oh, you're cute. That's all right. Get away with murder. Do whatever you like. I'm just... No, you do something about it. You, you want to encourage them. You, you give them rewards for good behaviour and you teach them how to live and you show them. But then when they do the wrong thing, you bring some correction. You have consequences. That's the 21st century word for punishment you know and uh, and we bring that to bear because we want the kids to know what's good and what's right but we also want them to know what's wrong and we have standards of behavior why is that where does that come from well that's just a moral code that's an, a, a deep-seated ethical moral compass that's in the heart of man made in God's image and so if you extrapolate that out on a big scale then you get exactly what God did with the nation of Israel because he got this nation and he raised them up, just like a parent and a child. And he cared for them and he loved them and he, he showed them what was right and, and he protected them and he rescued them. But he also gave them a bunch of commandments, the Mosaic law, to tell them what to do and the right way to live. And then they would miss it, they'd mess up. And so there was this need for punishment. And so that's why we've got this whole system of sacrifices in the Old Testament, lots of animals being sacrificed and the blood covering over the sin and all the failings and the mistakes and the hurt and the pain and the disconnect between God and people and the the animal sacrifices kind of did enough to keep things under control but they're still looking for the perfect sacrifice. Couldn't be an animal, had to be kind of a man or a woman, a, man, a, a person, a human, to represent people properly. But, but how can that be if they're not perfect and yet the sacrifice has to be perfect? And so here comes Jesus, 100% man, 100% God, representing humanity and yet perfect as deity and makes the perfect sacrifice. Isn't that amazing? And so that gets us to the third point of the story, which is Christ's substitution for us, taking on our punishment for our sin. So he came to fix the problem that the devil and our sin produces and created, and he goes to the cross. And in doing so, he satisfies the need for justice. He's paid the ransom for us all to be set free from the, the prison that sin puts us in. And, and notice that only Jesus could do this. He's the only source of our salvation. Like I said, he, had, he, had to, he was unique in, in, in our history. And this is the distinguishing fact of the Christian faith. 
There aren't many roads to one heaven. There is just one. And Jesus himself said, in, and it's recorded in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So, you know, Christians get in trouble in the media sometimes, or people have a go and say, well, that's not very tolerant of you. You know, Jesus isn't really that tolerant. Love isn't always tolerant. Love of a parent for a child is not tolerant of sin, tolerant of wrongdoing. Tolerance, you know, has, has its place, but it's not all encompassed by the concept of love and truth. And Jesus is the way, the truth. And, and so, yeah, you could be accused of being intolerant, but it's the truth. Uh, and, pre, and Peter says the same thing. When Peter preaches in the early days of the church, uh, he gets up and he's talking about Jesus and he declares in uh, Acts 4 verse 12, there's salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And so there it is. God's great love shown for us, to us through Jesus. And now, so Jesus has done all that he can for us. And, and then there's one more part of the story which is up to us. And that's the fourth part and that's our response that leads to our salvation, our restoration. And of course, when we respond to Jesus, when we repent, when we turn away from sin, turn to God, trust him with our lives, then we get restored to this place that God originally intended. Relationship with him, we're saved from sin, saved from its effects, saved from death, given eternal life, fellowship with God. And Jesus called that being born again, brand new way of living. And... Uh, and so we don't just have a set of rules to follow, not a, a religion that we dutifully obey rules. Uh, we've got a person that we get to know. We get a relationship with a real God, with real love, real life-changing power and his Holy Spirit coming to live within us. That's pretty cool. And, you know, that response to Jesus, that moment of being born again, that takes all shapes and forms. Um, I guess, like me, maybe you've wondered sometimes, I wish I had one of those crazy testimonies. You know those ones where someone was like a, a, a drug dealer or a criminal or they lived some terrible life and then they, you know, they're about to shoot someone and then the light shone in their eyes and they, the gun hit a sign that fell on the ground and John 3.16 jumped off the pages of a book that blew out of a window or, you know, and then... And the next thing, they should have gone to jail for 50 years, but they got pardoned miraculously now. They travel the world and, you know, I don't know if anyone actually has that life story. <laughs> Probably a little blended story there, but you know what I mean. There's, and then there's the rest of us, you know. Actually, looking around, maybe some of you characters have had some, <laughs> you know, pretty crazy stories. But I know some of us have had pretty, pretty normal lives, but it might not be as spectacular and dramatic on the outside, but it's still miraculous what occurs on the inside. And that was my experience. When I was... Can I tell you my story? How long you got? It's not going to take that long. There's no drugs involved. It's very boring. Ah, oh, look, I was only 15. How much... Well, actually, you can get in a lot of trouble by the time you're 15. But, uh, you know, I had... A, I had a, you know, my story, like I said exciting on the inside without necessarily looking so incredible. But, um, 
you know, I grew up on the northern beaches of Sydney, nice, comfortable part of the world, you know, very well off. My father's a successful pilot, great career. We had, you know, all that we needed. Ah, but at that age of, you know, 14 or 15, you're thinking there's got to be more to life. What is life all about? What's the, me- what's the meaning of life? I remember just racking my brain. I remember reading a book about the earth is hollow and there's UFOs coming up. I bet you read books like that, you know, trying to figure out, oh, you know, are we all aliens? Is this a dream? You know, and read about Buddhism and I'm searching. And I had a friend, still have a friend. In fact, this friend will come and preach for us in April, on April the 14th. He's a pastor now in London, Paul Van Essen. And this friend, he was a bit older than me, and he's very, very clever, and, uh, and he would also nut out with me, you know, what's life all about? We're trying to solve all the problems of the world, trying to figure out what we're on, on about, and, um, and, and delving into, you know, different philosophical concepts and potentially this or that. And then I remember one day him coming to me, this friend of mine, and he had a look in his eyes, and it wasn't drugs. <laughs> we weren't doing drugs. We were too smart for that and we were a bit too young to get into it. And um, it wasn't as, as prevalent in our school at that era. It was, kids did a bit of dope and that's all. But I was, you know, uh, a bit young to... You know, I wasn't mixing with those kids anyway. But this guy, he had this look in his eyes and there was light and, and life. And, and he just said, I've found the answer. I'm just like, I was convinced he had by the look in his eyes. He said, I found the answer that we've been talking about. I found the meaning to life. And I was like, let me have it. And he said, Jesus. I went, oh, no. Because I had never been to a church service. My father was an atheist. Praise God, Ruth led him to the Lord before he passed away a month ago. Uh, She led him to the Lord a couple of years ago. Uh, But at that point, you know, he was a very strong-willed guy and uh, we just didn't have any religion in the house. My mum was a lapsed Catholic who ended up getting, you know, born again after I did and she's been in the same church for 25 years up in Port Macquarie and serves the Lord and and follows him. Uh, But at that point, there was no religious discussion in the family and I'd never, never been to a church service. So all I thought of was... Jesus was associated with church, which was old-fashioned, which had done terrible things in history. And the kids at school went to the Christian fellowship group and I had bought into the narrative that they're all a bunch of dags. And they're all just to be... I was terrible. I, I can remember mocking them, stirring them, swearing at them. Just terrible, terrible, arrogant, insolent, just immature behaviour. Ah, just, you know, I just had that... That sort of narrative. that there, And then here's my mate saying, and I'm wanting to think of something exotic, you know, that he's found the meaning of life. It's Jesus. And I'm like, what? But he convinced me. He said, look, it's true. This is the story. This is the gospel. You're a sinner. You need to give your life to Jesus. He's going to change your life. He, he, my life's been totally changed. I thought, well, that's true. It looks something real and resonate. And so I went home and I did as I was told and I prayed the prayer. I prayed the sinner's prayer. And he told me, what you've got to pray? And I remember getting down, kneeling beside my bed and praying the prayer. And nothing happened. <laughs> and I thought, God's busy. There's a lot of people in the world. He obviously hasn't heard me because something's got to happen. There's got to be some thunder or lightning or an angel or something. I remember thinking, come on, all right, I'll do it again. So I prayed it again and nothing happened. And I just thought, wow. 
you know, did I not get saved or anyway, you know, but I, then I realised I know this is a journey of faith. I started to learn how to pray. I, uh, I started to go to church. I went to the Christian group at school. <sighs> and now there's a story because they were like, all right, what are you doing? What, what, what do you think you're doing? Who are you? And I'm like, hey, guys, hi. <laughs> oh, you know, I'm sorry, you know, and I'm sorry. And then I would get so excited. I'd be discovering Jesus and, and singing the songs and, and, and reading the Bible. And I'd say, oh, wow, this is good. And I had such a filthy mouth, I would swear without realising it. And then they'd be like, ah, oh, and the knowing look. Oh, you're not really Christian. Yeah, okay. Oh, right, I see. What are you, infiltrating us just to stir us up a bit? And then I'd go away and I'd think, oh, God, maybe I'm not really a Christian. I'm swearing. Oh, it's terrible, you know. And I'd say sorry, you know, and then I'd get on the journey. And then, and then there was the time that – and then I went to the local youth group, but I had to bring a mate along because I'm being told that you've got to tell people about Jesus and also I was afraid of going on my own. So I dragged my mate along and he got saved and he's still following the Lord all these years later. This is 40 years ago. And, um, and so I gradually I cottoned on, you know, this is the journey of faith. Uh, learn how to pray, realised the Bible is powerful and, and God speaking to me and, and ended up stopping swearing. You'd be pleased to know. It's a few weeks ago. Finally over, overcame that. Uh, and, uh, and, then there was, and then we went in the local youth group. They played this movie, and I'm, I've told this story before, so forgive me if you've heard it, but they, it was about the end of the world. And it started with a guy break, waking up and, it was, and the rapture had occurred and he thought he was a Christian. He turned around, his wife had gone and then he went out on the street and half his Christian neighbours or the, all the Christian neighbours had disappeared and he realised, oh no, I'm not a Christian. And, uh, and then the, you know, the secret police come in and he's got to take the mark and the whole movie and we're just sitting there being terrified. <laughs> We've read a little bit of Revelation, we're brand new Christians and then... And they're running around, they're killing him, talking about chopping heads off and take the mark of the beast and, ah, you know, all this. Oh, that's right. He goes to the local minister for help. And there's the minister going, yeah, me too. Yeah, I thought, I'd, ah, you know. And then at the end of the movie, he wakes up and it's just a dream. Ah, and he goes to the bathroom, turns around, ah, and the wife's gone. Ah, so the dream was prophetic and now it's really going to happen. And that was the end of the movie. And we walked home Friday night. We'd walk, we'd walk about, it was a long walk, four or five kilometres, about 11 o'clock with our Ugg boots. And I don't, I don't think we said anything. We were just, oh, normally we'd just yahoo and carry on and take two hours to get home. And it's like, good night, bye, you know, and we go home. The next week on the Monday morning, it's a Friday, right? So Nick, the guy that I dragged along to get saved, he, he would meet me at my place Ten to eight, and he was very punctual. He's a he's a PhD nuclear scientist. You can imagine what he was like back then. <sighs> you know, he was like a pain sometimes because he was so meticulous but brilliant. You know, so he was punctual, and he would be there at ten to eight. At seven to eight, we'd be at Paul's place. Well, Paul could be late. Paul could do anything, right? So you never know. He could have gone early to the bus stop or whatever. You know. And then Simon, he was sort of in between, usually punctual. We'd meet him at five to eight. We'd all walk to the bus stop and two of them would go to one school because we were in different high schools and the other two would go to this high school. Anyway, so that Monday morning, Nick doesn't show. Ten to eight. Huh. It's strange, you know. I'm running out. I better, better get the other guy's house. Paul's not there. It means nothing. 
Carol, the next one. Hang on, Tom's not here either. So then I got no friends, and I'm walking to the bus stop, and then I start thinking of the movie, <laughs> and I'm like, oh no, Come, I don't be ridiculous. It's just a movie. No, it's not just a movie. It's the Book of Revelation. You've been reading it all weekend. It's freaking you out. Maybe you're that guy. You thought you were a Christian, but you're not. Your mates got saved and you didn't. You thought you had got saved, but it must have been you swore at Christians too much, didn't you? At the Christian group or, or something. I'm like, oh, I don't be ridiculous. And this, my brain is going off and I'm walking and I've got about a kilometre to this bus stop. And I remember just going, ha, 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 don't be ridiculous. Oh, no, shut up. Don't laugh. You idiot. So now what are you going to do? All right, well, they'll be giving you the mark of the beast at school. So don't take that. You get your head chopped off. Right, I'll get some rations. But this is early prepping. I'm thinking, right, go Rosal Bridge. That's our local haunt. Well, I'm going to go and live in Rosal Bridge. I'm going to, but then they'll find me and kill me anyway. All right, so I might as well just go. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to go to heaven, but I'm going to die. Today I'll probably get my head. The, forget the cane. I'm getting my head chopped off. And this is, I'm literally, I mean, it's all going through my mind. Oh, don't be ridiculous. Yes, shut up. Don't laugh it off. Okay, on and on. And then I get to the bus stop. And then the bus, and there's a girl who was a Christian who used to be always on the bus coming from Chatswood, going out for stores. And, and I, I remember getting on the bus, and I knew it sort of casually, you know, like, oh, hi, you know. And, um, and I got on the bus, and there she was, I went, hi, hi, and I touched her. I went, I went, hi, and I thought, she's real. Oh, and I know she's a Christian. Oh, God. And then the next hour, and that afternoon, the guy, I'm like, what? Where were you? Where? Oh, sorry, I slept in. I was sick. I'm like, and I, anyway, so, so in case you didn't know, that wasn't the end of the world in 1978. Jesus has not yet come back. Uh, of course, they said he was going to come back in 1988 and 1998 and 1925. And, you know, people have said all kinds of crazy dates. But anyway, wow, sorry, let's bring this to a close. I don't know how I got on all that. Uh, I'll tell you what, though, look. I remember one word that came into my mind when I gave my life to Christ, destiny. This is my destiny. This is right. The Christian life isn't easy. And I've discovered that, as you have if you follow Jesus. In fact, you can, you can set yourself up to live a life here on earth much more comfortably if you focus just on yourself, just on the short term, just on life's trivial pursuits, just on pursuing happiness, but there's no destiny. There's no oomph, there's no will of God, there's no eternity, there's no glory. And, and so the Christian life, it's a no-brainer. Of course, sometimes it's tough, it's challenging, but God gives you the victory over the toughness and the challenges. And he leads you all the way to heaven. And, you know, we're all heading somewhere one day. I know you young people think you live forever, but you're going to die. And... Uh, and, and so where are we going when we die? Uh, and, um, and, and it's not just when we die, it's the life that we live now that has meaning and glory and destiny and purpose and God's given joy, the, the, the deep joy that goes beyond just happy circumstances and lots of happy circumstances as well that he blesses, with, blesses us with. And so, um, you know, it's, it's a real no-brainer, isn't it? Walking in relationship with the Lord, living in his love, receiving his salvation, receiving his blessing. And, um, and let me just finish. I just want to read one quote from Charles Spurgeon uh, that talks about salvation. And as you hear it, I want you to think of how glorious it is to be saved and how we can also 
as Ruth prayed, as she prophesied in her prayer about shining our light into the community and carrying this to others. Spurgeon said this, better than I could have written it, what a great word that word salvation is. It includes the cleansing of our conscience from all past guilt, the delivery of our soul from all those propensities to evil which now so strongly predominate in us. It is the undoing of all that Adam did. Salvation is the total restoration of man from his fallen estate. And yet, it is something more than that. For God's salvation fixes our standing more secure than it was before we fell. It finds us broken in pieces by the sin of our first parent, defiled, stained, accursed. It first heals our wounds. It removes our diseases. It takes away our curse. It puts our feet upon the rock, Christ Jesus. And having thus done, at last, it lifts our heads far above all principalities and powers to be crowned forever with Jesus Christ, the King of heaven. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.